Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Launch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors' Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. Welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Oh, the excitement is building. Not long to go now. Another massive night in Europe for Dundalk. And the man who will be bringing us all the action, blow for blow as it happens, is on the line from Baku. Good afternoon, Adrian Taff. Good afternoon from Baku, Jerry. Well, well, you've settled in there after arriving on Monday. What do you make of the place? Uh, it's been unbelievable to be honest with you it, it, like so far away from what I imagined uh, you know I expected it to be not as westernised obviously as where we're from and uh, not to be as modern as it is but it's like it's almost like a, a mini Dubai over here it's incredible the wealth around the place we came in uh, at night um, off the flight and uh, just driving up um, the stadiums are all beautifully lit up um, you know, skyscraper buildings it's, it's just like I've not been to Dubai but it's what I imagine Dubai is like a really impressive place and uh, it's not a destination you'd ever really think of going to apart from a football match like this but it's one that people would have to consider now I think it's mm. um, there was obviously you know the previous regimes and there has been traditions in the place like not wearing shorts and uh, you know women being covered up and all of that but this place has become very westernised people it seems to be becoming a tourist destination certainly in this region I see a lot of people out taking photographs of the uh, of the sites in the area, and um, the, it's alive. It's a it's a it's a hive of activity at night around in Baku as well. It's become I think it's become a real destination, tourist destination in this region. And to be honest with you, I don't know why people from our part of the world aren't looking at it as an alternative to place like Dubai. It's fantastic. It's probably the nine-hour flight over there. It's a bit of a distance. It's a terror, Adrian, what oil can do for people. And that's what it's done for that country there. And uh, consequently for the football clubs as well. Uh, what can we expect this evening? Dundalk trained in the uh, stadium last night uh, around the same time the match will be taking place. It's going to cool a little, yes? Uh, yeah, just to, just a correction, something. It's not actually a nine-hour flight. It's a little bit more accessible than that. I think the flight was maybe around about six hours, maybe right. a little over six hours, okay. with a break in between. So again, you know, it's not you know people go to the Canary Islands four and a half hours away, you know. So it's not ridiculous, you know. Um, as <laughs> Adrian, tonight, Adrian Taff, yeah. uh, Baku tourism officer, speaking to me live on late <laughs> lunch this afternoon. Anyway, come back to the stadium tonight. That's right. I think any messaging like that that I uh, that I sent you, I, it probably needs to be approved by the government over here. They're fairly uh, strict on, on things like that. But uh, the game tonight, uh, yeah, the, look at the weather was on everybody's lips before we come over here. This uh, heat, and a lot of people comparing it to Larnaca last season, where the heat was really oppressive on the night of the match. Um, from my sense of it, and talking to a player or two as well, this isn't as bad as Larnaca last season in Cyprus. Um, there's a there's a really nice breeze here. It's known as the city of the winds, and it's really obvious why because there's a constant wind. Now I don't know if the 
if there's going to be a wind at pitch level tonight, I was talking to uh, David Mintu, who I interviewed actually, and I think you have an interview with him to come up uh, later on the programme. Um, and he tells me that the wind isn't very strong at pitch level, but he said that it was relatively comfortable. And, uh, you know, and the people who have been on the pitch um, and in the stadium last night at the training session didn't feel that uh, the intensity of the heat was going to be too much of a burden tonight. Now, the stadium itself, the Dalga Arena, I was just thinking about this. It could be named after tonight's game, should Dundalk get the result, the Dalgan Arena. Wouldn't that be just lovely? It would be absolutely lovely. And I'll tell you what would be really lovely if we could transplant the Dalga Arena and move it to Oriel Park. Not that there's anything wrong with Oriel Park. Everybody loves Oriel Park in its way. But uh, this is uh, the stadium from what I've seen of it exactly. It's, you know, it should be the archetypal uh, Irish League of Ireland Stadium if everything was right you know six and a half thousand round about the right size I think uh, you know would cater for bigger games and also wouldn't look too empty uh, and smaller games and uh, from what I've seen it looks really really nicely uh, turned out as well it looks fantastic yeah the you mentioned there about the traditions shorts and women covering up um, a couple of Dundalk players Jamie McGrath Sean Gannon uh, with the cameras yesterday and that ended abruptly it did, yeah, yeah. They were out taking, uh, doing some uh, a photo shoot out on the um, out on the boulevard. I think it was with RTE. They were uh, doing some camera work down there, or whatever. And they were besieged by uh, security and police. <laughs> they actually it was fairly alarming. I know that I was talking to Dave Kelly from RTE uh, yesterday evening, and uh, his big concern was that Sean Gannon wouldn't end up in prison tonight <laughs> ahead of the match. You know, uh, could you imagine being the broadcaster and being responsible for Vinnie Pert losing the best right back in the country? You know. Yeah, that certainly would be a, a, a kick in the solar plexus. Now, um, the game tonight, you mentioned the heat, a factor p- potentially, lovely stadium. Uh, there will have a decent support, I take it, being at home with them. All the expectation is that Carabag are going to win this game. The pressure is on them. Will that play into the dog's hands? I think I think it probably will. I, th- I think the expectation among everybody I've been talking to um, in and around the football end of things is that Carabag will come out and go hard at Dundalk early on and try and get a goal and, and make things difficult. Now, you know, the old cliche, even if they do score, Dundalk, you know, have to score anyway tonight, you know, so the tie certainly isn't over. But um, if Dundalk can withstand an early storm, um, you know, you know Carabag are bound to get nervous. All the expectation is on them. They've been in the group stages of the Europa League and Champions League for the last number of years. Uh, their supporters expect it. I imagine their government expects it. There's, you know, government links to this side as well, you know. So uh, I'd say there's pressure on them. Uh, the manager in charge of them is very experienced. He's been with them since uh, 2008. So he's been over the ground. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think... I don't think that he'll feel oppressed by the prospect of a of a defeat tonight. Like I, I think that he's probably seen it all, and he'd be fairly confident that his side can uh, pull it off. But certainly, Vinnie Perrot and the Dundalk players, I think that they feel that they've learned from the Larnaca experience last season. Um, I think there was a bit of a sense around the group that maybe Dundalk got it a little bit wrong in Larnaca last year in how they set up and how they approached the game, certainly in the first half, and uh, allowed Larnaca get a couple of goals. Um, and that they've learned from that experience and that the approach uh, will be better uh, tonight. So, you know, it all remains to be seen. Larnaca last year, Nicosia this year if they win because Apoel Nicosia winning last night and they are the next opponents for the winners uh, of tonight's tie. Fans out there scarce on the ground or what do you expect? Yeah, I think they're scarce on the ground, all right. Um, Between 14 and 20, I think, you know, uh, 
there were some on the charter flight over, and I believe a few people have made their way over independently as well, a few brave souls. Um, but yeah, I don't think that in a 6,500 seater stadium, which is sold out apparently for tonight, that we can expect to hear too much of the dog supporters. But I bet, I expect a Pat and Iris McGuinness and uh, people like that will make as much noise as, uh, as they possibly can. And Shamie Walsh from RD and Mark Conlon and John Joe Conlon and Kira Carberry and a number of the people that I've seen on the flight over. They will indeed. And just reminding LMFM listeners, we have the game live here on LMFM from 6 o'clock. It's 9 o'clock out there later in the night, but it's 6 o'clock here live on LMFM radio this evening. You can get it on the app as well or online at lmfm.ie. You're waiting for this final question. Mr. Taff, your prediction, please. Uh, I'm not going to make a prediction. I don't like making predictions because you're a hostage to fortune. But uh, I, I will say that a lot of people I've spoken to and a lot of Dundalk supporters are, are um, hoping for a, a score draw. And, uh, well, a 1-1 score draw would send us to penalties. And uh, I'm not sure anyone wants to live through that again. But uh, So let's hope it's a score draw. It's of the 2-2 variety. But uh, look, at, uh, look, I have to make Carabag favourites for the game. I think only a fool would do otherwise. Um, the quality of player that they had at Oriel Park uh, last week, uh, you know, would suggest that they're favourites. I think that that first half, they were particularly impressive. But look, if Dundalk can get their game management right and still be in the game with 20 minutes left for play, uh, then look, you just you just never know. And they've done it before against big sides. And who's to know if there's another hero in waiting here tonight? Absolutely. Adrian, thank you for joining us. Wish you well and good luck with the uh, commentary on the game tonight. We'll all be tuned in, eagerly waiting to see how things unfold uh, a long way from Dundalk this evening. Thanks indeed. That's Adrian Taft there, our match uh, commentator this evening, bringing you the game live from Baku, 6 o'clock across the LMFM social media platforms and here live on the radio as well. Now, a little bit earlier on today, Adrian was out and about in Baku and there are Dundalk fans there. He caught up with James Rogers, James well-known with the Argus in Dundalk. Gareth Doyle was there, but first he spoke to David Minto and David began by saying that he never thought he'd travel so far with Dundalk in Europe. It's, it's great to get away and see Dundalk playing in, in the far-flung lands of Europe. And uh, Baku is not a place that I ever thought I, I would come to. But um, being here, I had, a, <clears throat> I had an opinion of this city before I arrived. But uh, it's an amazing place and it's, uh, the wealth to, in this city is, is, is unbelievable. We're out at the stadium last night um, and when the Dundalk fans go out there this evening, the, the few that's here... It's the kind of ground that we should have. It's it's a six thousand seater stadium. It's got corporate boxes. It's got a lovely pitch. I think it's something that we should be, you know, aiming to be in a few years' time, hopefully. So when you say you had an opinion on Baku and Azerbaijan before you came out, and that's been changed, what was your original opinion, and what has it changed to? Well, my my original opinion would have been that uh, it probably would have been a little bit more backward than we are, we are. You know, I thought that uh, facilities would have been disappointing. But it's completely the opposite. It's, 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 it's a fantastic place, fantastic city. And if anybody can ever get out here to have a look at it, it's, it's worth a trip, I think. Certainly is. Uh, Gareth, would you echo that? Oh, definitely. Um, though the last couple of years you would have seen, probably with the Formula One um, coming to Azerbaijan, that you would have known that the, the, the country, the city itself is, is prospering. So, um, But yeah, I've been amazed with the... Um, the facilities here in the hotel that the team even get get to spend the facilities out out at the ground it's great and as David said it's something that the the, the ground the six thousand seater stadium something that hopefully that you know we can aspire to something like that in the in the future. 
I've met yourself and David, obviously. I know you're from around on Dock Football Club and I've met you at a number of these trips. Where does this one rank so far before we get the actual result, which would put a, a, a tin hat on anything? Um, for me, probably Tel Aviv might just been a wee bit, a wee bit better. Probably more so because of the, the journey as well, being able to go up to Jerusalem and, and a few of the other places that we would have went to. Like the city of Bacow here was beautiful. We had a brilliant three-hour tour of the, the city yesterday, looking at the old history and where the, the new history ha, has joined with it as well. So, yeah, but it'd be right up there at the top, probably with Tel Aviv, as the, the two best trips that I've, I've probably been on. Yourself, uh, Gareth, and you, David, as well. You've both been staying in the team hotel here as well, so you've had good access to the players and the management. And what's the mood like around the hotel? Actually, surprising because uh, the lads, the players, are very relaxed. Um, they are very confident about getting a result tonight, which is great. Um, I, I, I don't know if I was playing what kind of mood I'd be in. I'd, I'd, I reckon I'd be really nervous about it, but uh, just talking to a few of the guys, and they're, they're just ready to get the game on now at this stage. In terms of the weather and the heat out here, I don't know if you were in Larnaca, Gareth, I can't quite remember. No. Uh, you were certainly in Tel Aviv, as you said, so you, you know what heat's all about in terms of football. Um, it's a, it seems to be a different heat from Larnaca, certainly, in terms of um, it's, it's quite humid, but it's, it, there's a wind out there, isn't there, all the time? Yeah, um, it is quite humid. Um, talking to one or two of the players now, that they've been happy enough with it, that it doesn't just seem to be as bad as what Larnaca was last year. To some of them, one of the other lads that we had, he, he was saying that he found it last night at the training where it was hard to get a second breath, but you know, it's something that they'll overcome. And there's the experience of Larnaca last year will probably stand, hopefully stand, stand well to them that, you know, that they've known, they'll have a better idea of what they're going to face with the heat. But again, I don't really think it's just as, from what the, the couple of players were saying, it's just not as humid as, as what Larnaca was last year. Apparently the heat was just stifling completely. So hopefully, you know, they're confident. They say that they faced it last year. They know what they're going to come up against this year. And as David said, like, like the, the conf- I'm not saying overconfidence, but, the, the, you know, they're, they're relaxed in themselves. They, they know what they have to do. There's... Um, just doesn't seem to be a, a feel there. Like they know what they have to, to go out to do, and and again they've, they've been doing this now for the last four or five years. They've, they've become very professional at it. The club has become overly, much overly professional. The, the facilities that um, the club provide, like you're here in the Hilton Hotel, everything that the lads need. They have the room, the food is there for them. They have their training facilities that they're in and out. You know whatever they need is provided. So you know as much as as the players are getting used to, to this, the club have become about what what they need to provide the, the players as well. And, and again, that keeps the players happy. And hopefully, a happy set of players will bring the right result for us tonight. What's your feeling on the match itself? You of course saw Carabag last week. Um, yeah, Carabag were a very good technical team of how to get the ball off, especially in the first half. But um, I thought we got a grips with them in the second half, and you know we started playing our own sort of pressing game. And that might not help tonight because in, in that heat you're not going to imagine that we're going to be able to press for a full 90 minutes. But you know, if we're still in the game, come 65, 70 minutes, I'll give us every chance. Um, I think it'll be some sort of a draw tonight. I'm hoping at least a two-all draw, and that puts us through. You know. What about you, David? Um, I, I was speaking to uh, Jamie McGrath yesterday, and he felt that there were mistakes made in Larnaca last year in terms of maybe the team tried to press a little bit too early and expended a lot of energy and left themselves open to the uh, Larnaca break. Um, are you hopeful or confident tomorrow night or tonight? And how would you approach the game if, if you were in uh, Vinnie Perth's shoes? Well, uh, I was out, I went out last night to the ground with the, with the team to do the tra- for the training, and 
the, the heat wasn't on the in, not to do the training, David. I hope. No, 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 no. <laughs> just just watch training. But uh, the heat wasn't the heat wasn't in the in the pitch. that was out, out and about. And you know, it's, it's not a big stadium. It's not a tall stadium. But at pitch level, it definitely wasn't as hot. And the, uh, a couple of the players said to me, "It's surprising how cool it was. It wasn't what they thought." And there was twenty nine degrees last night at nine o'clock, and it was just it was really humid. But like the lads came off, they were drenched, obviously, but uh, they said they were able to cope with it. Now, I'm, I'm like Gareth, I think it's going to be a score draw. I, ho- I hope it's, it's a two-all draw, like we had in FH in Reykjavik, um, and we go through. Because I think we deserve to go through, after, especially in the second-half performance in Oriel Park. I think we give these guys too much respect in the first half, I thought. The hype about them being a group, uh, you know, regulars in the group stages of whatever competition kind of got to the players a little bit. And now they realise, hang on a minute, like, we, we can actually beat these guys. So um, I'm hoping for Garrett, what Garrett said, we're, we're tight for up to 70 minutes and then we give it a lash in the last 20 minutes and hopefully come out with the result. All right, I was going to save talking about the football for James Rogers, who should be a bit of an expert on this as a sports journalist, but the lads have done a pretty good job there. James, anyway, um, your own thoughts on, first of all, Baku and uh, the match ahead this evening? Yeah, like a bit like what the lads were saying, um, had a, maybe a perception of what it was like coming out here. And I suppose the minister I was actually sitting beside you coming in on the, the bus from the airport and it just completely changed my mind. Like so modern, so spectacular, I suppose, is one of the words you could use coming in. And um, it's an amazing, amazing city, you know, and not at all what I would have expected. Um, you could see why people might come here and I, I certainly wouldn't have thought that beforehand. Um, but yeah. The lads are here to do a job, I suppose they've seen a bit of it, but I think they're, they're just ready for game time now. You, of course, interviewed Vinnie Perrett yesterday in the press conference, and he comes across as a very confident man, and he's certainly not giving anything away. Yeah, he's, uh, do you know what? He's really relaxed. I think um, both Vinnie and the players, I think Riga was a massive weight off their shoulders. I think there was a pressure to win that. If they lost tonight, it's no disgrace. I mean, Carabag are the seeded team. They're ranked, I think it was Jamie McGrath saying, ranked higher than AC Milan in European terms now. So, you know, nothing is really expected of them, but they have their own expectations and they want to win this. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I suppose maybe it's heart overhead, but there's a real belief here, both among players, staff, fans, that, you know, maybe this could be a special night. Yes, indeed. And we're all hoping it's a special night for Dundalk. The best of luck to them. And don't forget again, six o'clock kickoff here on LMFM Radio Live. First break of the afternoon on late launch. And afterwards, I'll give you your first clue in the Signature Furniture Competition. To celebrate Signature Furniture's annual stock disposal sale, they've given us some fantastic prizes to give away every day this week on late launch. If it's quality sofas, chairs, dining, beds, mattresses or occasional furniture you're looking for, then check out Signature Furniture. Furniture, Dramiskin Castle Bellingham. It's the place to be at the moment. And until next Monday, bank holiday at six o'clock, their annual stock disposal sale is happening. So check them out. They love to see you and they look after you, I promise you. And today, the kind people at Signature Furniture, Dramiskin Castle Bellingham, have given us a lovely prize for you. It's a contemporary table lamp. Who wouldn't be without a beautiful table lamp? €199, it's worth a euro short of 200 Would you like to win it? Three, I'm going to read three sentences sentences for you on the uh, show today. And I'm looking for words to complete the sentence to do with house and home. So I need a word that's to do with house or home that completes each of these sentences. Wait till you get all three, then you can send in your answers. So here is the first clue today in the Signature Furniture Competition. If we don't start exercising more... We may become what potatoes? What's the word I'm looking for there? If we don't start exercising more, we may become 
what potatoes? Do you know the word I'm looking for there? It sums up someone who's inactive. That's your first clue. Two more to come on late lunch this afternoon. And to come next on the show, we meet members of the new Drogheda Outcomers. From the candy store to the Galtimore, the golden era of the show bands and that Miami massacre 44 years ago today. Second clue in the signature furniture competition for a beautiful contemporary table lamp today, worth almost 200 euro. Uh, Here it is. So I want the word, complete the sentence. Sometimes we just have to say it and get it off our... What's the word I'm looking for? The last word in the sentence. I'm telling my guests not to say anything here for a moment. Don't give it away. Sometimes we just have to say it and get it off our... It's something to do with a house or home, the word we're looking for. That's your second clue. One more to come. I'm joined in studio today by members of Outcomers Drada, who are a brand new group who are launching tomorrow and they're with us the day before today. I'm delighted to welcome to the show somebody you've met before. Anthony Kinahan is with us. Michal Kearns is here as well. And Delroy Mbufu is with us on the show. You're all very welcome. Thank you very much for joining me today. Anthony, I suppose the first question I have for you, in the context of Bernadine Quinn and Dundalk, who are celebrating 21 years this year, they have the key in the door. Why has it taken so long? Well, look, I mean... uh, Bernadine and outcomers up in Dundalk uh, have been serving the northeast area, you know, for 21 years, as you say, and they've been doing great work. Um, and, you know, we've, we've, the, the members of outcomers Drada are all, have all been service users of outcomers uh, for years as well. Um, so I don't know, it, we identified a need basically earlier in the year. There was, um, Bernadine, uh, you know, suggested to some of us, you know, perhaps that there was a need now for a, a group localised in Drada that um, kind of specialised in more the confidential privacy, the, the discreet kind of end of things, where uh, people who, you know, were struggling with things or maybe looking for a little bit of support about their sexuality could link in with mm. people closer in their area maybe you know we can all feel like Dundalk or Dublin is, is just in our doorsteps but then it can feel a million miles away as well so to have somewhere maybe closer by uh, a more local feel to it a more community feel to it uh, for people any, anybody looking for that kind of more confidential support you know maybe looking for a bit of information or even referral um, that that there was kind of a need in the area for, okay. for a group like the that. The time is now and, yeah. and it is happening. How extensive is the LGBTQ plus community in, in this area here? Yeah, big. Like, I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, you know, the statistics say that, you know, it's one in every 10. But, I mean, you can see from the recent Drogheda Pride that was there two weeks ago that was organised by Drogheda LGBTQ organisation, which was very successful. You could see great visibility there, mm. uh, great community involvement, uh, so and well done to them, but you can see from an organ uh, from an event like that, uh, you know, the presence of people in the town, you know, and that's just people who are out, and then there's people who might be a little bit more in the closet, and I think certainly from. You know, we've had great advancements over the last few years. You know, we've had, obviously, you know, 15 years ago was decriminalisation and then marriage equality and the Gender Recognition Act and all those things have happened. I think people, even older people who may have been in the closet for a while, have started to venture out a little bit more as well. I think there's people in more... uh, minority groups uh, are starting to take that step out a little bit more. And that's why there is that need for that extra support, I think, because mm. the LGBT community 
is growing and and did need the support there. Let me bring Michal Kearns into the conversation. Just building on something Anthony said there about all that's happened in the last 10, 15 years. But is there still that thing about coming out no matter what age you are, Michal? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I definitely think so. I think noticing around the town there's a big strong presence of like younger people coming out a bit earlier Um, I know for me like I came out when I was 19 um, and I had good support from my friends so I think sometimes it can kind of depend on what your kind of like friends are involved in you know like so I'm sure if you're like hanging around with a lot of maybe like kind of heterosexual guys might be a bit more trickier maybe to come out um, you know, like I said, I was lucky. A couple of my best friends actually were were LGBT as well, so it just made it a little bit easier for me to actually come out. So, um, yeah, is it important to be? You know, we mentioned the recent parade there a moment ago, and uh, you know this new initiative now that launches tomorrow night. Is that a very important to your community? Do you need to, you know, have this? Um, yeah, I definitely think so. Like, you know, um, I'm I'm actually born and bred from the town as well. And like I said, it was great to see everyone out and about and kind of making the presence known as well. Like, and, you know, that that we're there. And, you know, I think, as Anthony was saying as well, Drada does have a, like a really big LGBT um, community. Um, and I think it's important as well that we try and kind of make this work because, like, I've seen a couple of groups, I've attended a couple of groups that just never kind of worked out I'm not sure what it was what's the recipe for a successful group but um, you know I don't know if it's just that we're close to, to Dublin or whatever but mm. it's it's good to see the presence now in the town yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so you're looking forward to tomorrow and, and beyond let me welcome to the show Delroy Mbufu you're very welcome to Late Lunch thank you for joining me uh, tell us a bit about yourself you're originally from where uh, Delroy I'm originally from Zimbabwe I was born and raised in Zimbabwe, and then I came to Ireland in 2017. And where are you living at the moment? I live in Mosny. Okay, uh, with many other people who've come to the country as well. Yes. How long are you there? I've been there for 11 months. Now, I'm curious. That's not a long time to be there. There are people <laughs> there a lot longer than you. Of course, uh, of course, yes. Years, really. How have you made contact with these guys and, and this <laughs> movement locally? Well... Um, I met these guys through Colette, a member of the LGBT island, mm. and then she hooked me up with um, Anthony, and then they told me about this LGBT drawheada thing that they were coming up with, and I felt like, wow, this is what we need here. Yes. Yeah. And, and this is a way, do you see it as a way as well for you of integration? Yes, it is. It is like we we are a community in another community as LGBT Islam seekers. So now in our community, we have a support group, like not just a support group, but a a, a drop-in center that we can go to. Anyone, anyone who is coming out, we have a hard time back at home. Like we come from countries with no LGBT rights, most of us. So having this is like. A big thing hmm. in, in so in in, Moza, in uh, Zimbabwe no n- no legality to this at all no no not at all who's here with you uh, who have you family with you well not really okay you're yeah. you're here by yourself yes and we, we heard from Michal a moment ago when did you come out I came out when I was 21 and did that happen in Zimbabwe yes Oh my, that must have been a very, very difficult time considering the, the, the situation you tell us. Yeah, it was. It was difficult. Like, you first see a lot of degrading stuff, like 
but here I am now. Mm. Was it a factor in your leaving? Yes, it was. It was the main factor. I wasn't safe anymore. Like, kept getting threats. I kept. I had nowhere to live, nothing to do. I wasn't seen as a human being, which is the worst thing ever for anyone. Isn't that just yeah. unbelievable to say those words? Yeah. It really is. Why Ireland? <laughs> Ireland chose me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I first came to Ireland, I was visiting, and then I didn't really claim Aslam in Ireland, but because I had an Irish visa before, that's why Ireland say, well, come back home, and here I am home. Do you feel at home in Ireland? Yes, I feel at home. Like, I've been accepted as I am, like, most people can relate here. They've been there. So it's still new to some people. Like they still have that thing. Like fifteen years ago, Ireland wasn't the same as it is now. So they know what it's like to go through what I've gone through. So it's it makes it feel at home, really at home. And you're gonna feel more at home now with this <laughs> being part of this new group as well. Anthony, yeah. you, you shook your head there. Yeah, when I mean, like you look, heard that's, that's Delroy. Yeah, it's a terrible words. story. I mean, and like, unfortunately, that's a story that can be shared by many Irish people as well, and not from the too distant past. You know, I mean, we only—I mean, my personal experience has largely been positive. I mean, when I went knocking on doors in 2015 for the marriage referendum, um, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get, but and there was you know that level of hostility from some people and while we've come a long way and we have these legislations put in place that integration piece still has to happen so I mean the forming of Outcome Restraud is part of that you know we have people who who would be afraid to walk down the town in that parade or to be seen at an LGBT event so forming of Outcomers Drawed is that you know filling in that missing piece of like well these people have a place to come where they can be discreet it can be private confidential they can get the support that, they, that they're looking for get referred on to other services that they need um, uh, we hope to run actually a few um a series of information nights as well, so there'll be different information nights. For example, for the first one we have in mind is for bi and trans issues. So for Delroy is a trans man, um, so we're learning about that ourselves, um, and so we can offer this to the wider public and things like maybe running an information night about uh, parents for uh, with LGBT young people. You know, if they're a bit worried about, you know, what. The, their young person's life is going to be like you know they can ask the questions that mm. they might be afraid to ask in other forums or maybe uh, an information out about LGBT law family law because obviously that's changing all the time now with the family and relationship uh, family and relationship act and stuff like that but more more so than that we were planning on a monthly drop in monthly at first anyway uh, we need to walk before we can run <laughs> uh, uh, a monthly drop in where people can just come you know they're not going to be in the paper. They're not going to be on Facebook. It's, you know, just come meet like-minded people. I think, you know, Delroy as well raises a good point. You know, there is these minority groups now around, like, for example, we Mosny is on our doorstep. Ireland is, because we voted publicly for um, marriage referendum uh, and marriage equality, um, you know, we are a beacon for other countries around the world. So p- people who are seeking asylum, maybe L- LGBT people, do look to Ireland because they know that they'll be accepted there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the unfortunate fact then is sometimes they end up in direct provision centres with b- 
people from other countries that aren't as progressive as ours. So it can be a tricky situation as well. Mm. Not just that, but there's a lot more older LGBT people nowadays um, and, you know, that might not want to be, you know... uh, plastering it all over the place or whatever so I mean there's a place for them to link in with us as well you know other minority groups like um, uh, LGBT travellers you know all all these kind of things we're opening our doors to all um, um, you know one of our big things is about diversity and inclusion and integration and even advocacy for some of these LGBT issues and to be a point of liaison for other services in the town and nationally as well to link in with us Um, so you know, it's all about integration and filling in those missing pieces from the legislation. Being there. Do you see yourself having a home ultimately? You know, you mentioned you'll have these monthly, and I'm sure you'll be accommodated. No, no bother with that. But would you love to have your own? Place? I mean, <laughs> though, as I say, we, we'll walk before we can yeah, run. Yeah. You know, it's early days yet. Yes. Um, ultimately, it would be great to have something. Like, I mean, you know, you looked at and docked to what Bernie set up. But that was a long, hard slog for them. Of course. You know, they're on the go 21 years and they've an amazing facility up there. You know, it's central. It's off the beaten track as well, though. So it is that you do have that kind of discretion in the centre of Dock Town. You know, so that would be, you know, ideal. The ultimate aim. But we'll, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Then, the, you know. Tomorrow night's a big night. It's happening in the West Court Hotel at 7 o'clock mm-hmm. and the Mayor, Paul Bell, will mm-hmm. be there. Bernadine yeah. Quinn is mm-hmm. coming along as well. Yeah. What a wonderful woman mm-hmm. she is. Yeah. Uh, Paula Fagan, the CEO of LGBT Ireland, will be there mm-hmm. also. So, and you're going to have a bit of music mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. refreshments, etc. So, this is is this an open door? To oh, yeah, the more the merrier. So, seven o'clock uh, in uh, Westcourt Hotel, Drada. Uh, all welcome. Um, we'll be just tell, telling people a little bit about ourselves, and you know, people like the Mayor Paul Bell, Bernadine, uh, Paula, who is CEO of LGBT Ireland, but also a Drada native herself. Yes. Um, they'll just be like that letting people know a little bit why there's a need for a service like this and then you know I'm very shy but I might say a few words myself oh uh, shy, <laughs> shy and there's another shy fella over there that Michal Cairns fella because um, will, will, will there be a little bit of comedy Michal tomorrow night or are you going to keep it uh, serious um, no we don't want to scare the people off <laughs> but I'll keep my mouth shut yeah, but, but you are you are a comedian of course and you're mm-hmm. appearing in the venue McHugh's this weekend is yeah it? this yeah. Friday yeah okay. yeah, yeah. so yeah. doors hopefully open around so yeah. if you want to so come down yeah. Michal will be there part of a stellar lineup. there are a number of comedians men and women performing performing there but is this a special time for you back to you again Michal yes oh yeah definitely yeah it's it's really good to see like you know this happening for the town and you know it's just really exciting I think yeah mm. mm-hmm. and I want to say finally to uh, somebody who's come into our community here in Ireland recent times uh, Delroy you are welcome you are very welcome and, and, and I have no doubt about that uh, and it's great that you're part of the group and this other group now as well and I wish you well for your time here and I hope everything works out well long term for you and that you prosper here in Ireland thank you for joining me on the show today thank you all for joining me Westcourt Hotel 7 o'clock tomorrow night Outcomers Drogheda it's launched there everybody welcome thank you gentlemen for joining me Thanks thank very you much. very much Yes, that's Promise and Girls Allowed on Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. Just reminding you, a public meeting in the Grove House Dunlear tonight at half past eight to discuss the new proposal for the filling in of the old quarry in Dunlear. 
and uh, Garabandal, Only God Knows, the movie, sold out in Dundalk last weekend. People were turned away. Good news. It's happening again this weekend, the 2nd to the 4th of August, at the Omniplex Cinemas, Dundalk Retail Park on the Inner Relief Road in Dundalk. Omniplex this weekend, Garabandal, Only God Knows, and it's there again this weekend to make up for the disappointment that so many people felt last week at not getting in to see it. Our third clue, signature furniture. The price today, a contemporary table lamp, 200 euro bar, a euro it's worth. Here's your third clue. It's often better to put all of your cards on the... What's the word I'm looking for? It's often better to put all of your cards on the... Will I give the other two, Louise? They're looking for them. Yeah, will I? I should I? Ah, yeah. I won't. Will I? Will ah, I? I do. I'm Be too, nice. I'm too soft, aren't I? Three clues. Three words. First one. If we don't start exercising more, we may become something potatoes. What's the word there? Second one. Sometimes we just have to say it and get it off our... What? And the third one. It's often better to put all of your cards on the... What's the word I'm looking for? There you have it. Three words. Your name, your details, where you are and your number. 086-1800-658 and we pick a winner for the Signature Furniture Competition before the end of the show. Are you missing it, Louise? Love Island? Yeah. Uh, mm, I just went back to watch him paint dry last night. <laughs> <laughs> really no, exciting. No, I'm not. She is missing it. She's all over the place I'm today. I'm distracted. I am. Di- aren't you distracted? Yeah, I am there, distracted. One? She's distracted Maybe that is there, the Even me running order is the 1st of August tomorrow. <laughs> and I gave away your cup of tea this morning. <laughs> she gave my cup of tea to somebody else. Bring back Love Island quick and settle this woman down or get her watching something else quick on television. Yeah, any recommendations? Uh, Any recommendations? We'll take them, of course, course, on the show. Up next on Late Lunch, are you a child of the show band era? You won't want to... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Miss our next feature on the show from the candy store to the Galtimore. Stay with us. On the day that's in it, we have to talk more about show bands. Yes, you do know that it's 44 years since the Miami tragedy or massacre, whatever you like to call it, on the border as they returned to the south of Ireland from a gig in the north. I'm joined on the line by a very interesting man. His name is Joe Carney. And he published a book back in 2017 called From the Candy Store to the Galtimore about the show bands 50s, 60s and 70s. And he's on the line with me on Late Lunch this afternoon. It's great to talk to you, Joe. Thanks for joining me. I'm delighted to be here. Great opportunity to chat to you, Jerry. Thank you. Now, the book itself, congratulations. It's a wonderful, wonderful work. Can I just ask you this for listeners who may not uh, realise or understand? Context the show band era. When did it begin and end the interesting thing about the showband era we were collecting uh, stories for rural electrification and we kept coming upon these incidents of uh, instances when uh, rural electrification came in from the 1940s electricity came into parochial halls 
And of course, when electricity came into parochial hall, you could plug something in. And then it was realized, well, you could plug in an amplifier. And then if you plugged in an amplifier, you could plug in an electric guitar. And then in, in parallel with this, um, radios were coming into uh, private houses. And of course, there was influences from across the pond and across the Atlantic, rock and roll, Bill Haley, Elvis Presley, all that started to come through. And a new culture started to leak in. Prior to this, you had the uh, more staged, staged show uh, bands. There were, there were more uh, dance bands than show bands. Uh, for example, the Clipper Carlton would have started out like that. And then this, this influence started to leak in. And the Clippers started to perform little, little acts in the middle of their dances. And prior to this, what they'd be doing, they'd be sitting down behind their music stands, you know, more, looking more like undertakers than show band stars. <laughs> and... Um, it's, it's believed that one night they, they literally, somebody, they kicked over the music stand, they stood up, they did this little act in the middle, and afterwards um, they, they uh, believed that they, the crowd responded so well to this. And they were advertised then for the first time, I think was, they did a, a gig in Dundalk, and they were advertised as the Clipper Carlton Show Band. And that was it. That was just the cork came out of the bottle, there was no putting it back into it again. And at one stage, it's believed that you had anything up to 800 between, between 800 professional and semi-professional bands touring the country, north and south, up and down. And there was about a thousand venues between your parochial halls, between your dance halls, between your makeshift marquees and whatever. And it became just the just most monstrous phenomenon that took off. They say that... Um, uh, rural electrification was the quiet revolution, but this, in fact, was, you know, the loud revolution. It was the amplified revolution. And it just literally took over. It rocketed. It changed everything from the fashions to the music. The men grew their hair longer and the girls had their sh- their skirts were shorter and they were sort of in direct proportion to one another that way. But it really, I grew up in the, uh, when I, I, I started to attend the dance halls in the 1960s. Uh, in Kilkenny, and uh, moved from there to uh, London in in the late 1960s, and experienced that revolution on sort of both sides of of uh, the Irish Sea. The interesting thing is that it transferred to the UK uh, initially during Lent because the uh, dance halls were closed during Lent, and then the, the show bands were able to go to the UK and find they could get a week, month's work, no problems at all over there. And that's really when the whole thing sparked on both sides, and hence the name of our book from the, the candy store to the Galtimore, the Galtimore being that very famous uh, ballroom in Cricklewood in London uh, that closed down, unfortunately, uh, a number of years ago, but was a phenomenal success at the time. Now, emigration was part and parcel of Irish life around those times as well, and sadly, the economy here just couldn't support the number of people there were. There weren't the jobs, so many, many people were forced to emigrate. The first port of call was the UK, England. You write in the book about some poignant stories of people leaving this country heartbroken, but it's fair to say, Joe, that the showband scene and the Galtimore and other places like it in Britain helped ease the pain of separation. Absolutely. I, I left Kilkenny in the mid-1960s and I went to Cricklewood in London. And on the, I do remember very well on that last uh, night before I went away, I was in uh, the Mayfair Ballroom in Kilkenny 
Frankie McBride and the Polka Dots were playing. I just remember that. And inside my inside pocket, I had the ticket for the mailboat. And, and it seemed to me that, you know, it was the start of a, a, another life, a big adventure when you're that age. But um, the place was as far away, it was as remote, remote now as the dark side of the moon. And I knew no one there. But in my pocket, I had uh, an introduction as to a landlady in Cricklewood. And just literally, from the moment that you threw your suitcase in there, you were, you were taken on board by other lads that were sharing the digs. And they brought me out on the first Saturday night to the Crown in Cricklewood. We drifted up from the Crown up to the to the Galtimore. Jim Tobin and the Firehouse, that's who it was. They were playing in the Galtimore, and it was a seamless transition. The big trauma of uh, the, the big metropolis of London seemed to just drift away. It was like as if I had stepped out of the door of one ballroom and I walked through the doors of another one. And uh, that passage was seamless because what it was, it provided uh, a cultural link that was vital for so many hundreds and thousands of Irish that left the country and had to leave at the time and probably worked in construction, buildings, uh, on the lump. And um, it it was an unintegrated life. No, many of the people that I work with never integrated into the UK, but retained that culture of home, that, that memory of home from the time that they left. And it was added to and it was helped and, and they were supported along the way by the bands that played uh, continuously in venues like the Gatimore. And, uh, you know, these were places where you could find out where uh, the, the, the best employment was going on the best where the latest building construction project was going on where the digs were all of that sort of stuff and of course you went there to to meet a partner meet romance and whatever and the amount of stories that we have in the book where people have gone in the doors and found their life partner on the dance floors now while we're in the uk let's stay there for a moment because in this brilliant book of yours the candy store to the galtimore you interview many people who have vivid memories of the time and one of those is Father Brian Darcy who we know very well. Tell the wee story about Brendan Boyer and the Beatles. Well this is a very interesting story because um, the, 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 the Brendan Boyer and uh, the, the boys they they, um, they won I think it was the Carol Allen Award and that Carol Allen Award gave them a big uh, access to venues across the UK but they were treated very well when they went over. They were, uh, they were allowed access to recording studios. Um, they toured the country. But when they toured the UK, they toured in one of those marvellous, big, American-type touring buses that had everything in them. They had everything from, from bars to toilets to, to sleeping facilities, the whole shebang. Very, very, very much high-end. And the, the curious thing about it, um, they did a gig in Liverpool. And on the gig that they did in Liverpool... They, uh, they were, there was a support band on, and the support band was the Beatles in their very early days. And the curiosity was that when the gig was over, the, the boys went out, the Beatles went out with Brendan, and they had a look at their fabulous luxury wagon. And I think to quote Brian Darcy themselves, they, they, uh, they wondered aloud if they'd ever make enough money to buy a bus like the one that Brendan had. And Brendan said to them, Keep writing your own songs, he said, and there's a very strong chance that you might. (laughs) 
what a wonderful story right, that I, is. I think they did get the bus all right. <laughs> I think they did. Yeah. And more than the bus besides. Another wonderful story I want to touch on because I know the boys well, Horselips. And they were Celtic rock, but they were on this scene, late 60s into the 70s, touring similar venues to the show bands. Tell us about the confusion and Horselips. Yeah, well, this is a most interesting story because they, they were asked to play at the Arda Community Hall. Uh, it was a weekend in the mid-1970s, and uh, there was a new premises that had just been built by the local development committee, and uh, they were hoping that they were going to sort of raise a few bob in it. And it opened on the Easter Sunday night, and uh, actually the Swarbrigs were playing to, to big crowds there. But anyway, the news spread that the horse lips were coming, and this was, this was a really, really, really incredible, absolutely incredible um, opportunity for them to raise some money and to get the whole thing running. But unfortunately, there was a small bit of confusion with the lads. Because rather than go to Arda, they actually went to Arva. Now, uh, <laughs> there were, there were, uh, but they, 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 did, they, they did the best thing. They discovered when they got to Arva that they really were in the, in the wrong location. And nothing would do them but to actually turn around and literally got to Arda. And they got to Arda at, I think, around 2 o'clock in the morning. And that would be the time that they'd normally finish. There were still enough people there for them to play, and they got a great reception, but they just literally stayed on the stage in Arda, late as they were, and they played until the early hours of the morning. But um, unfortunately, not everybody was uh, disposed towards what they did, because at that time, the parish priests were, well, they, they, they took uh, very serious views about the conduct of dance halls, and of course, the, the parish priests were instrumental in everything that happened in the community. On this occasion, the, the parish priest, once he heard that this all-night racket of what he called the horsey band, he read them out from the altar, and they even made the front page uh, the Longford leader uh, because it said the PP slates the horsey band because of that late-night gig that they did. So really, uh, a, a confusion of a couple of words, a couple of letters in the in the uh, in the venue, and that's what actually happened. So marvelous that they could still come along and perform late in the night and late in the morning as it was and put the effort into it. I want to touch on you two. How would you two come into a book like this? But they actually do, and it's the Garden of Eden, a famous venue in Tullamore, Joe. Yeah, uh, the Garden of Eden was was being run uh, way back that time by a man called Ricey Scully. And Ricey had been contacted by Paul McGuinness, the agent for U2, although he'd never heard of U2 himself at the time. They were just emerging from gigging around Dublin and uh, more like, almost busking, you could say, at that stage. But anyway, McGuinness saw that there was a there was great potential uh, in this particular band, and he approached Ricey, who was running the Garden of Eden in Tullamore, and uh, he said, uh, I have a great up-and-coming band. Now, what I'd like to do, I would really like you to um, just maybe take them on and just uh, give them a gig here because you'll get a marvellous marvelous crowd, you'll get a, get a, get a good uh, get a return on that one. Not too many people turned up because they were sort of more used to more conventional bands, the show bands were playing there. Towards the end of the evening, Paul McGuinness was there and he was collecting his fee from Ricey for the boys and uh, he said, you know what, you're going to hear an awful lot of these boys. These boys, um, well, they're, they're going to play some of the most international, the largest venues around the world. And Ricey said, well, they might, he said, but he looks out at this handful of dancers that are out on the floor, he says, I'll tell you this much, they may play them in the future, but they'll never play the Garden of Eden again. And this was um, a story that was related in later stages during an interview um, that you 
too did. And uh, Bono was asked, you know, what would happen if you lads, if somebody hadn't actually seen the potential in you boys and you didn't become the uh, world uh, band that you are, attracting this, this great response from people? And he said, well, you know, I don't know. It's quite possible we might still be playing the Garden of Eden in Tullamore. <laughs> oh my, the more you hear these stories, it's, it's simply wonderful. Let's bring it all back closer to home here from an LMFM radio perspective today because... Eddie Marmion, a well-known man in the music business, uh, his band, The Country Sounds, they have a big link and a close link to what happened the Miami show band on that fateful day, the 31st of July, 1975. Tell us the story, Joe. Well, when we were gathering the stories for uh, from the, the candy store to the Galtimore, I just wondered how we would manage this particular episode because... Um, Brian Darcy in the introduction says that that is the moment when the music started to die following the uh, the incident with the Miami show band. And um, I just wondered what would happen, what stories would we get ourselves? Because bearing in mind, we were just using this book as an opportunity to relay other people's stories. And then out of the blue, I got a call from Eddie Marmion and Eddie wrote this wonderful, wonderful story for us. Eddie had been uh, in a band called The Country Sounds and they were going backwards and forwards um, across the border, as many, many show bands did at the time. And they were always conscious, of course, of some elements of high tension when they were playing in Northern Ireland. And they got their manager organised a few um, interesting gigs for them. They did British Legion. They were asked to do Orange Halls. And he recalls on one occasion that they did uh, a gig in the British Legion Club in the Kildress Inn in... Um, Cookstown, County Tyrone. And on the way back, and Eddie was driving the uh, the old transit van at the time, and it's crammed full of gear. And uh, they're try- heading back across the border. He's trying to keep the uh, the, the old van alive, and uh, they were flashed. A vehicle came up behind him and flashed them to, to stop. Being aware of the tension, the best thing to do was put the foot to the floor, and they kept driving. But unfortunately, the van didn't have the power in it, and they were now passed out by the other vehicle, which blocked the road in front of them. They all got out. They figured if it's the Alamo, they'd face it together. And then a man approached them with his hands on his hips and he's laughing and he said, lads, lads, are trying to flash you to stop. If the back door of the van is open, you're losing the drum kit out of it along the road. That was amusing enough, but yet at the same time showed the degree of tension that there was. Sometime further on um, in 1975, they got a gig to play on the 31st of July in Bambridge. And their gig was in uh, a place called the First and Last Club in Banbridge. They played the gig that night. They finished um, at about uh, midnight or so. They loaded up the gear and they passed by the site that would eventually become the site of um, the Miami Massacre. But they passed an hour before the illegal checkpoint was set up and crossed the border safely but didn't realise until they woke up the next morning what had actually happened. That um, Fran O'Toole, Brian McCoy, Tony Garrity, that they had been shot and murdered by uh, a rogue uh, UDR soldiers uh, dressed up as British Army, and um, that £10 time time bomb was planted in the Miami Showband's van bomb, uh, had a faulty timer on it. Uh, it exploded prematurely, and the three lads 
were killed. Um, two of the UVF were killed as well, and um, it was it was brutality. It, 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 it was one of those things that, to use those words of Brian Darcy again, that the music died on that particular night. It took a long time, as Eddie says, before they could go back across the border again, before they could go back and gig there. And in actual fact, we have another story in the book from a guy called Morris Crowley, who was um, a musician at the time with the show bands. He lives in Westmead at the moment. And he recalls a subsequent to the Miami massacre being stopped at the border uh, as they're heading south and literally being um, almost strip searched, but not quite strip searched, but being made to stand in the rain, all of their gear taken out and just laying on the road in the rain. So guitars, amplifiers, drums, keyboard, everything just taken out. And they watched pitifully as the rain came down on this. And to the extent that one of them, in actual fact, got pneumonia afterwards because they, they were so wet and they were held for so long before they were allowed to proceed. So there's a lot of tension and an awful lot of difficulties around that particular time. Yes, it did leave its mark. And I know Eddie well, and even to today, it impacts Eddie's life. And he's uh, spoken briefly to me about it in recent days as well. And today is the 44th anniversary of that horrific night, July 31st, 1975. And we do remember the Miami show band members and all those who lost their lives on that fateful night. Joe, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. You've uh, made us laugh and, of course, you'd have to cry and be sad thinking about Miami as well. But it was a golden era, 50s, 60s and 70s, never to come back, I'm sure, at this stage. But the book, From the Candy Store to the Galtimore, is it still available, Joe? It is. It's in all bookstores still and is uh, directly available from uh, ballpointpress.ie if somebody wants to get online and order from them. And uh, I'm delighted to be able to talk to you and share those memories. Joe Carney, it's been my pleasure on this poignant day. Thank you so much for taking our call and joining us on Late Lunch. Thank you, Jerry. Door to the 
holiday weekend imminent i always feel when wednesday turns we're into it tomorrow and just to remind you that the farney music festival carrick macross this weekend it's always a fantastic weekend and this year no different mike denver tops the bill on friday the wolf tones oh that'll be a great night saturday and then sunday it's Derek ryan that's the annual farney country music festival this august bank holiday weekend and for folks in North Louth and beyond, Dundalk Stadium is the place to be this weekend. The Dundalk Motor Show on Family Day. You have lots of cars, trucks, bikes and lorries. Loads to do for children and the under-12s go free. That's the Dundalk Motor Show on Family Day, Sunday, this Sunday, the 4th of August at Dundalk Stadium. Now, Louise, day three of our signature furniture competition. And just reminding you that they have... A big event happening at Tremiskin Castle Bellingham. It's on at the moment and will run until Bank Holiday Monday at 6 o'clock. Yes, their annual stock disposal sale. And they have sofas, chairs, dining beds, mattresses, occasional furniture. You name it, they have it there at Signature Furniture, Tremiskin Castle Bellingham. And they look after you when you call in. Prize today on late lunch, a beautiful contemporary table lamp. Almost €200, Euro, Euro short of €200. Euro. It's worth... Here, where the clues, we want three words, Louise. If we don't start exercising more, we may become something potatoes. Couch. Ah, yeah, couch potatoes. They had to get that one. Next one, sometimes we just have to say it and get it off our... Chest. Your chest of drawers is right. And number three, it's often better to put all of your cards on the... Table. Now, Louise... You'd have to get those, wouldn't you? You really would have to get so. them. And well, I think they all did. They did. Fairness. I have to say today, what a show from you. Thank you so much by WhatsApp or text. And there was loads. And of them. we got loads and loads. So we spun the wheel. Who's come out? You have the details there. Uh, yeah, well done uh, to Damien Beaky and Tully Allen. Well done, Damien. The prize is yours this afternoon and we'll be in touch to make the arrangements. That contemporary table lamp from Signature Furniture. Wouldn't want to have toddlers around, would you? Well, you'd have to mind it. You have to mind. That's right. But everyone loves a lamp, don't they? Do you like that? I love love a lamp in winter time in a room, not to put the full lights on, but, you know, a little softer light from a lamp. Turn off the big light. Oh, yeah. Winter time. That's the cosiness about it. Now, I'm not decrying. I love this time of the year, but every season, I think, has its merit in Ireland. Tomorrow, just to tee it up, listen to this from Signature Furniture tomorrow we have a 4 foot 6 800 
pocket sprung mattress and it'll be delivered by signature to you. €369 Euros worth on late lunch tomorrow. Three more clues, three words. Be with us from the start of the show tomorrow. You could be a winner. Um, anything else to say? Anything else going on, Louise? Oh, I saw another thing about that thing that happens on the 25th of December. There's something else up there, isn't there? No, don't even go there. We won't even talk about it. Leave that for another time. I saw a lovely thing, actually, in the news yesterday. You might have saw it yourself, Jerry. Go on. About um, seesaws on the US-Mexico border and the kids either side of the wall get on the seesaws. Oh, It's lovely, no. isn't it? Seemingly, the event was the brainchild of two professors of architecture and design who came up with the idea back uh, in 2009 as a way to represent the fact that actions that take place on one side have a direct consequence on the other. That is true. Does Trump know about it? Uh, I don't know. I know it's temporary and I know there's loads of pictures over the Do you the know what I'd love to do with them? I'd love to put them on one side of the seesaw. Do you know this thing? <laughs> yeah. And get a massive wave and jump on the <laughs> other side and propel them into <laughs> outer space. Wouldn't that be a good job with the seesaw? <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a great job. Can you just imagine it? Wee on his hair. <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic. It would a hell of a wait. <laughs> it would indeed. Final break of the afternoon on late lunch. And we remind you again, it is 44 years since the massacre of the Miami showband on the border on the way back home from a gig in the north of Ireland. And up next, we're going to talk to the writer of a new show all about the Miami. In the not too distant future, future. Uh, the story of the Miami show band is set to tour the country, opening in the Grand Opera House in Belfast on August the 8th. It's written by Marie Jones and Martin Lynch and the musical, I can tell you, is eagerly anticipated and Martin Lynch is on the line. Afternoon, Martin. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you for taking our call. I suppose the first question that co- comes to many people's minds on this poignant day, 44 years on, is how do you, you know, write a feel-good musical about the Miami? Well, um, straight away I would say it's feel-good feel for a large section of the play, but then, of course, we have a tragedy. And both parts of the Miami story have to be told. But I would just remind people that Les, Les Miserables is one of the most miserable stories you ever heard. <laughs> yes. and now it's, it's one of the longest running musicals of all time. Um, Angela's Ashes has just gone back out on the road again, and that's brilliant. I saw it in the Grand Opera House last year, and it's terrific. Um, in Ireland, we have a good capacity, most of our writers, for, for mixing the, the tragedy with the comedy. And, and the Miami story fits right into that category. We, Des Lee, the ex-Miami member who came to us with the idea, uh, had insisted that we should tell the whole Miami story, not just the tragedy. So we've looked at Ireland in the 60s and the rise of these young boys, like from Dickie Rock and the other members of the band, were all young men and they've been called the Irish Beatles of their day, like they were a boy band of their day. Dickie Rock had to stop getting into, Bel- into Dublin City Centre because he was getting mobbed all the time. Just to try and convey to people, there's a brilliant story there in the 60s. And of course, they had seven number one hits. Uh, and their catalogue their, their catalog of music is fantastic. From songs like Candy Store, Red through to Clap Your Hands, Stamp Your Feet. So a large part of the, the play is the musical of the rise to the top. And that's a glorious, joyful celebration of the Miami Show Band. 
And then in the second act, we get to the tragedy, and we think we think we deal with that very powerfully mm. and sensitively as well. And then the play finishes up with a reunion at Ficker Street, and and the game, which was a celebration of the band and all its music. And it's all there uh, in terms of everything you, you have experienced as a human being yourself in life, the joys, the lows, the tragedies, uh, the beauty, you know, the love. It's all in the story. Um, we, we, have, we have decided to use as our hook for the story um, the stories of Fran O'Toole from Bray and Desley from Belfast, who both joined the band on the same day in 1967. And the story follows their lives right through uh, to they came together, joined the band, wrote songs together, and then were in the tragedy together. So that's the link right through. Yeah, and uh, I want to tell listeners as well. By the way, point well made with about Le Miserable, one of my favourite stage musicals of all time. I've seen it, I think, five or six times at this stage. And uh, please, you God, your show will be talked about in the same uh, vein as it in the years to come. But look, I just want to put this to you: yourself and your co-writer Marie, you danced the dance halls in this era, yes. So you know what you're talking about as well. Yes, indeed. I mean, as a 17-year-old, I just caught the tail end, probably of the of the height of the show band, 68, 67, 68, 69. And I would have went to places like the Orpheus, Baldwin, Belfast. And on holiday, we used to go to the Arcadia in Bray or the, the, the Sea Point in Salt Hill, had some great nights and all those dance halls. And some other dance halls around the north as well. Mary did the same. Mary's from a Protestant background, and I would have been from a Catholic background. We actually went to the same dance halls, but didn't know each other at the time. Thank God, she she. Uh, but yes, we experienced all that, and I actually remember um, the Miami, the second version of the, the Miami in '67 that was put together, and I remember them playing at the Orpheus Ballroom. And Fran O'Toole being a whole new injection of music, my type of music, soul music. And that night he sang My Girl and he sang Respect, both Otis Redden songs. And I just loved him from that moment onwards. Uh, he was sensational and I think uh, for people of today and who didn't know him, you, you probably don't understand what a superstar this fellow was and I was just reading, it was interesting the boys were earning uh, £65 a week which was reported at the time to be more than the Taoiseach was earning in Ireland now where have I heard that in recent times with certain high pro- profile individuals and the Taoiseach of today that's right. Well, footballers, of course, are earning yeah. 100 times more than the, the Prime Minister yes. of Britain and stuff like that. So entertainers are usually of a different value, and that's, that's where all that comes from. It does indeed. Well, look, at it is eagerly anticipated, and I want to tell our listeners on Late Lunch today, it starts in Belfast in the beautiful Grand Opera House there on the 8th of August. It's there from the 8th to the 17th, and it winds up in the Gaiety Theatre in Dublin from the 16th to the 21st. But for listeners today in our area in the northeast of Ireland, it's coming to the TLT Theatre in Drogheda on the 4th of September, and the Solstice Art Centre in County Mead, Navin on the 13th. And those are nights really to look forward to. We'll, be, we'll have more on that nearer the time and some tickets as well but for the moment congratulations to both of you I wish you well and I look forward to seeing it and thank you very much for having me on the show and you mentioned the candy store we've played that already today and we're going to finish out with the other one you mentioned to us there a moment ago which is uh, from the Miami Martin clap your hands 
Stamp your, your feet. feet. Absolutely. Martin, lovely to talk to you. Wish you well. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Yes, and we do finish today with the wonderful Miami to give you a feel for who they were and what they were like and how big they were. We'll say goodbye to you on late lunch this afternoon with the Miami show band and the one that Martin mentioned. Get up in your kitchen, wherever you are. Come on, clap your hands, stamp your feet. See you tomorrow. Lunch brought to you by Blackstone Motors, setting the standards higher for award-winning customer service you can trust. Visit your regional dealer for Renault and Dacia in the Northeast for exclusive offers with lowest can be APR finance and finance arranged within four hours. Dare to live? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.